All right, everyone, another episode of the Middle and Ice Softball Podcast here recapping a run rule shortened game for the Redbirds, a 11 nothing winner over Morton. Um, but it is a huge episode to get to. We are talking about way more than just the game, and there's a lot to get to just within the Metamora Morton game. Um, talking a little bit of down-the-road type of stuff. We'll, of course, like I said, recap the Metamora Morton game, go through some other conference scores and stats. A little bit of bracketology for you. I'm going to give you my Metamora sectional seeds as of now, both subsectional A and subsectional B, um, and kind of how I'd script out the ICA poll if I had a say. Obviously, I'm not a coach, and there's probably some good reason for that. Um, but if I had a vote, how I would script out that poll. Uh, and then talk a little bit about the Marengo richmond burton games coming up on Saturday for the Redbirds. So uh, without further ado, getting into the Metamora-Morton game and one thing I saw right out of the gate, and I even wrote it um, on my lineups, was Metamora was really aggressive at the plate. A lot of early count swings. Every now and again, they let the count drip a little further uh, than it had started. But for the most part, really aggressive right out of the gate. Uh, three runs in the first inning. Katie Ramage, an RBI double. Sophie Eaton, a two-run single. And uh, did have a scoreless second inning, one, two, three. But from there, the bats somehow, as if the three-run first inning wasn't good enough, uh, came out even more prevalently than they already had. Uh, Cadence Till, Kerrigan Hartnett, both homered in the third inning. Second straight game for Kerrigan with a homer, by the way. Uh, And then the fourth inning had two home runs again. Cadence with her second, Katie with her first. And then an RBI ground out from Maddie Mooney as well. And Cadence has a third home run, hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the fifth. Again, three homers on the day, part of a four-for-four day for KT, adding a double in the first inning uh, to actually end up being a walk-off home run. Uh, Cadence's homer uh, in the fifth made the 11-0 final. Obviously, there's a lot to get to, and I, I even I do want to apologize. There's a little confusion on who I wanted to talk to uh, after the game uh, for our player interview that you're going to hear uh, in a little bit. Um, but it was between Cadence, Katie, and Sid. Uh, I wanted to get the game ball from Cadence. Uh, wanted to maybe interview both of them, but frankly, if I interviewed all three, Sid, Katie, and Cadence, then this episode would probably be like an hour long. So I, I try to limit the player interviews to you know make it as listenable as an episode as possible and not make it too long. Um, but obviously the other storyline is Sidney Trentman throwing the no-hitter. I talked to Sid briefly after the game, we think. Uh, it's her first varsity no-hitter. She did throw a perfect game uh, over the summer. Um, but as far as so far as we know, this is her first school ball no hitter. Uh, it was just a couple walks and a fielder's choice away from a perfect game. So pretty much spotless uh, in the win today for Sid. Uh, final line for her: seven innings, no hits, no earned runs, two walks, twelve strikeouts. Um, and and it seemed like at times that I I, I mean this <laughs> it's choice wording, but. Um, had Morton really not knowing what they were doing at the plate, like just the way she was able to spin, as she'll talk about in her player interview, uh, and just every aspect of her outing was darn near perfect, literally, not just uh, my perception of her outing, but statistically as well. Um, Struck out the side in both the second and fifth innings, um, but of course, do the math, five innings, 12 strikeouts, pretty likely this is the case, had at least two strikeouts in every single inning that she pitched this afternoon. Uh, So obviously a really, really good outing uh, for her this afternoon, not just by virtue of the no-hitter, but just overall. 
Uh, notable hitters, some of them I already mentioned. Want to make sure everybody's accounted for. Uh, Maddie Mooney and RPI in ground out. Cadence Till mentioned her three home runs, two solos and a three run, as well as a double. Katie Ramage, her solo home run and an RBI double. Kerrigan Hartnett, solo home run, couple of singles. Sophie Eaton mentioned her two-run single. Nora Johnson had a single. Bree Besser had two singles. Lauren Riddle tripled and walked, part of Metamora's 11-run, 14-hit uh, effort in the ball game today that lasted just one hour and four minutes. All right, so we're going to get into our interviews right now. And uh, first up is Morton head coach Jessica Kirby. All right, so, Coach, I think what I want to start off with is one thing I've talked about on the podcast before is y'all's loss to LP where you hung in there within a couple runs until late. They obviously made that big push late today a little different. What what do you kind of see to compare and contrast those two results? Um, I mean, a lot of the same things both ways. Our girls have been working really hard. Um, we start off well, and then we've just got a very young team. And so our pitchers, um, they're both sophomores, and they're just working on keeping the ball down, and you can only go so long before the hitters start to pick up on it. Um, Metamora has some very consistent hitting, one through nine, um, from the beginning of the game. So I think that's the big difference. LP, it took them a little bit longer to adjust, whereas today we just um, Metamora came out, came out hitting from the beginning. How much of a priority is it to make sure game by game, regardless of a win or loss, that it's a learning experience knowing how young a team you do have? Oh, absolutely. It is definitely the highest priority, and our girls are great. They take everything in. um, They apply it. We haven't made the same mistake twice, um, and so they're definitely learning a lot of things, and that's really what we've been focusing on all year so far. I've heard the phrase, a loss isn't necessarily a loss if you don't learn from it. How, How do you plan to learn from this one continuing on in conference play? Um, yeah, we'll look at a few of the mistakes, miscues that we made. Um, we'll get back at it at practice, um, work on. We've got some girls playing some different positions, so we'll definitely work on those little things that are very position-specific that we missed, a couple miscues with covering second base um, and, and things like that. And so just take the little things and, and make little adjustments as we go, not overload them with things, and, uh, and, and keep moving forward. All right, thanks for the time, Coach. And, of course, uh, with the way the game turned out, by the way, thanks to Coach Kirby for the time, I wanted to make sure I got to her first so that way we didn't, uh, we allowed the Potters to get on their way uh, and get back home. Uh, We actually won't play there until I think early May, so give it a couple weeks and we'll head out to Birchwood Park and have a call there. Uh, But, again, thanks to Coach uh, for the time talking about this one and kind of the prospects of her team going forward. Uh, obviously with the final score, like I talked about earlier with the players who to talk to, a little bit of a tricky situation, ended up picking Sid with the no hitter. Uh, so here is our post game interview with the no hitter pitcher, Sidney Trentman. All right, so Sid, obviously what I want to start off with is the one thing about this no-hitter is it was pretty strikeout heavy. What was working so well? Was it off speed? Was it just seeing how they were baiting on particular pitches? Kind of take me through that. Um, well, Coach Bowen called a really good game. She always does. Uh, but my spin was really working. Uh, before it wasn't as well, but today it was, like, really moving. So, And we just kind of kept it very unpredictable, so they didn't really know what was coming next, I think. How, like – Take me through the mindset when you get late in the game because, I mean, did it ever get to a point where you kind of knew what was going on and what the situation was and 
Were you the most antsy person in the dugout in that bottom of the fifth inning, hoping they would get the 10 runs? Yeah, um, I would. I always kind of know, but I try and ignore it and not think about it and just kind of go and pitch. But, yeah, I was like, oh, well, Kaden's just hit two home runs. It would be pretty nice if she hit another one right here. So, yeah, that was really nice. What What's the important part of the mental steps that you're taking to ensure that you block it out? Because, like, we talk about all the time, you know, just blocking out the noise, whether it be fans or mom and dad saying something from the stands. Kind of talk about the importance of that, knowing how well you were pitching today. Yeah, it's, for me, taking deep breaths. Uh, I get onto the mound, I look at what Maddie tells me to throw, and if I agree with it, I'm like, yeah. Then I just focus on that one pitch until, and whether it's executed or not, uh, then I focus on the next pitch. I just try not to listen to anything, just focus on myself. All right, Sid, thanks for the time. And obviously the way things worked, not just with Sid, but we talked about the bats, the five home runs, the 14 hits in total. You know Coach Linder is going to be very pleased uh, with how things panned out on both sides of the ball. So excited to get his perspective here on the ball game. All right, so, Coach, I think we obviously got to start with the no-hitter. Um, kind of your thoughts on that and how things are going for Sid today. Yeah, I think, like, we were just talking about the coaching staff. It's nice to see Sid get going and throw strikes early uh, and really get some confidence. And, you know, but she's a very good pitcher. You know, she took us to the, the deep in the playoffs last year. And, you know, it's nice to see her come out and, and uh, do well. And obviously the power was working stupendously with five home runs by the end of the day. I think Cadence had three, Katie had one, and Kerrigan had one. Kind of talk about uh, obviously you'll take hits and runs when you can get them, but no less five home runs. you got to be pretty happy with that. Well, against a couple different pitchers there too. And so that's when you know your good hitters are starting to dial in and, and uh, get it. And it was nice to see Kerrigan uh, continue from Washington and, and do that same thing. And what what kind of confidence can a win of this nature give you? Because obviously you look at Saturday, you're going to face two really good teams. I think, you know, all due respect, Richmond Burton, probably the better of the two with an all-state pitcher and an ACC catcher. Kind of talk about what sticks out about the mentality going into what should be a pretty tricky doubleheader. Yeah, those, that's why we play those games, so we can see those kids and and uh, worry about getting them out and work on getting them out. And so, you know, we'll see what, what goes on, see how they do. They're getting up a few runs, so hopefully we can uh, to can keep stay hot. What, what do you think is the plan of attack? Not not to get to, like, X's and O's or whatnot, but how do you attack a team that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily play as often, two teams that were traditionally 3A pre-COVID, but, like, like what other things are you looking at uh, when you look at Richmond Burton and Marengo early on? Well, we got to go over. We got to go after those two hitters. Uh, the one that's a freshman uh, is really good and hitting well. She's got good speed. Um, plays off the Wisconsin Lightning over the the win or winner, and um, then of course the Syracuse uh, recruits the other one. Um, so you know the key is you got to get those two out. If if you can't get those two out, we're probably going to be in trouble. And I should add, Richmond Burton, a team that nearly beat Rockridge in the Super Sectional last year, so obviously a very reputable opponent. Coach, thanks for the time.
All right, and now we get into the fun stuff. Not that an 11 nothing five-home run no-hit game uh, isn't fun, uh, but kind of breaking things down elsewhere um, in the conference. And in just a little bit, we'll actually branch out statewide uh, for the first time. Um, starting with East Peoria Canton, a game that um, obviously we want to send best wishes to the Raiders. Uh, I saw on social media uh, Emily Compton uh, had an operation, uh, so that obviously will hinder her for some time. I uh, want to make sure that she gets back as quickly but safely as possible because obviously uh, talked about in my conference season preview with Adam Duvall, probably uh, one of, if not the best pitcher in the conference. Uh, I believe she's headed to UMSL, a Division Two in the Great Lakes Valley Conference, and I know a lot of people call it UMSL. I, I prefer the abbreviation, UMSL, but obviously a very talented pitcher, so I want to wish her the best uh, in her recovery time. That being said, uh, the Raiders were at Canton today, and a really interesting game. It was a pitcher's duel um, between Terry and Watson all the way until the sixth inning, bottom of the sixth, Canton uh, was the first to the board uh, with a go-forth uh, sack fly to score Shaw. And then East Peoria actually came back and shut the door, well, come to find out, eventually shut the door uh, into the top of the seventh, sweat and grounded into a fielder's choice. Crot uh, scored, and then the run, the, actually, let me look back, yeah, because it was a sack fly, the, the lone run scoring hit of the day between either team, uh, Luna, the RBI single uh, that gave East Peoria the 2 nothing win. Uh, Sweat, Luna, Lane, Sassman, and Krotz all with hits. Krotz with a two-hit game. Uh, The lone walk drawn of the game went to Terry as well. Uh, Canton uh, just had two hits, so a good outing uh, for Meadow in the circle. Uh, Walters and Shaw both with a hit each, and Goforth mentioned the RBI there. And Shaw also drew the lone walk. Uh, just a double down, just make sure I don't miss anything. Pitching lines, uh, Terry for EP, seven innings, two hits, one earned, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Watson for Canton, seven innings, six hits, one earned run, one walk, and six Ks. Uh, so not a bad outing for either pitcher, I would say. Looking next at Dunlap and Limestone, a very intriguing uh, final score. If I can actually pull it up here, not hitting the right buttons. Uh, Dunlap, rather, a 5-3 winner um, and a early offensive surge from both teams. All eight runs combined had been scored by the end of the second inning. The third, fifth, sixth, and seventh innings were all scoreless. Uh, Dunlap opened up with a three-run first inning. Uh, and the Eagles, um, by game's end, I believe they're now 1-1 one and one in the conference. Um, but that three-run first inning, uh, single from Covey, double from Drake, uh, got the first runs on the board. Limestone countered with a three-run double from Phoebe Sewell, uh, and that was actually it for the Rockets the rest of the game, obviously, doing the simple math. Uh, and talk about the early runs. Dunlap scored their final runs on a Cruz RBI ground out and Covey RBI single. And then again, mentioned third inning on uh, was all scoreless. Uh, Milholland and Cleeton split time in the circle uh, for the Eagles. Milholland got credited with the win. Four innings, four hits, three earned runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. Cleeton, three innings, two hits, no earned runs, no walks, and two strikeouts. Uh, limestone pitching, O'Neill. 
third of an inning, four hits, three earned runs, no walks, no strikeouts. Liz Groob came in and finished the game off, took the loss uh, of record, five and two-thirds, five hits, two earned runs, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Uh, hitting for both teams, Cunningham and Hindenburg, both with two, Covey with two, uh, Cruz, Drake, and Hopwood all with one. Mentioned Covey, two RBI, and Cruz and Drake both with RBIs as well, and the long walk was drawn by Calhoun. Uh, hitting for Limestone, Sewell, Herman, O'Neill, Thornton, Kelly, and Sturgis all with hits. Uh, and the lone RBIs mentioned the three RBI hit from Phoebe Sewell. And then two walks drawn, Anison Connor and Phoebe Sewell as well, both with a walk drawn. And again, Dunlap, a 5-3 winner um, over Limestone. Then we'll wrap things up with Washington and Pekin in terms of uh, wrapping up the conference side of things for this episode. Uh, Pekin led 1-0 uh, through the first two innings. And... Game changer always starts with the seventh inning. Um, Peking got a sack fly from Benassi that scored their first run of the game. Uh, both teams scoreless in the second, but the game-changing inning uh, for Washington was the top of the third inning where they scored five runs, an RBI double from Redling Schaefer, RBI single from Ogden, and between just those two hits... Uh, was the five-run inning or five run inning for Washington. They added a run of insurance in the top of the sixth as well um, on a Herrick uh, hit, but Scrivener did score on the throw, so technically not an RBI. Uh, pitching lines for both teams. Irby got the start for Pekin. Uh, two and a third, got the loss of record. Three earned runs, no walks, two strikeouts. Uh, Brogan Hall for the Dragons, four and two thirds, five hits, no earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. Brooklyn Ogden in the circle for Washington gets the win. Seven innings, five hits, one earned run, five walks, nine strikeouts. Not a bad line. Uh, rebounding from the loss to Metamora on Tuesday. Hitting for both teams, uh, five hits for Pekin, but they weren't entirely spread out. Campbell with two, Perry with two, Davis uh, with one, and the lone RBI I mentioned came from Benassi. Uh, did a good job of drawing walks, Pekin did. Uh, Gunther with two, Perry, Campbell, and Hart all with one each. Uh, hitting for Washington, Herrick, Ogden, Coclasier all with two. Vaughn, Scrivener, Redling, Schaefer, Campamanis, all with one each as well. Vaughn and Redling, Schaefer, a two-RBI game. Herrick and Ogden, both with one RBI as well. Campamanis and Glob both draw walks uh, in the win. So that being said, so Canton loses to East Peoria. That makes them one and one. So Canton's one and one. EP's two and oh. Metamora's 2-0. Washington's 2-0. Uh, Dunlap is 2-0. Pekin is 1-1. Limestone is 0-2. It's a sneaky 0-2. Talk about how good the Rockets are. Uh, Washington, we already mentioned, is 2-0. And Morton is 0-2. So your updated Middle Atlantic Conference standings. Uh, let's see if I get this in the right order. Uh, East Peoria, 2-0. Metamora, 2-0. Washington, 2-0. Dunlap, 2-0. Your 1-1s, Pekin and Canton, Morton and Limestone, 0-2. Oh, All right, so we're going to take another break, and like we said, we're going to get into some out-of-conference stuff now. 
Um, kind of. Conference teams are involved, but when we come back, we'll take a look at my bracketology for the Metamora section. We'll kind of see where I think uh, both teams should seed out, at least in my opinion, based on what I've seen out of the play of those teams to this point. So bracketology when we come back. All right, so here we go. I know it's uh, only April 6th, but believe it or not, we're only a month and a couple weeks away uh, from the postseason starting. Uh, Regional, sectional, and supersectional sites and subsectional assignments have been released. So that being said, I'm going to go through and give you where I think things are going to pan out, including, as of now, postseason pairings. Um, and there's still one regional site left to be determined in, ironically, the subsectional that Metamore is in. And in fact, I'll take it a step further and say I think the regional that Metamore is going to be in is the site to be determined. Um, so right now I've got regional hosts. Uh, Normal West, Rock Island, and Washington have already been published. Um, of the schools that aren't uh, listed as a host in the, in the proper subsectional that I think could host, um, I think maybe you give Dunlap, uh, if they're willing, uh, the other regional. Uh, so Dunlap, Normal West, Rock Island, and Washington, your regionals. Um, I have the Dunlap regional semifinals as follows. Metamora, a one seed, taking on eight seed Richwoods. Four seed Geneseo, taking on five seed and regional host Dunlap. I have the Normal West regional as two seed Lincoln, taking on six seed Bloomington. And three seed East Peoria, taking on five seed Normal West. I have the Rock Island Regional as two-seed LaSalle Peru taking on seven-seed Galesburg and three-seed Rock Island taking on six-seed Streeter. I have the Washington Regional as one-seed Washington taking on the play-in winner of number eight PND and number nine Peoria High and the other semifinal of number four Limestone and number seven Morton. Going to get into a little bit of predictions here so nobody come after me. Uh, Dunlap Regional Title, number one, Metamora versus number four, Geneseo. Normal West Regional Title, number two, Lincoln versus number three, East Peoria. Rock Island Regional Title, number two, LaSalle, Peru versus number three, Rock Island. Washington Regional Title, number one, Washington versus number four, Limestone. And the Metamora Sectional I have is Metamora versus Lincoln, Washington versus Rock Island. And I have the rivalry in the sectional championship, Metamora versus Washington. So that's kind of my sectional bracketology, if you will. Um, obviously, those seeds could seeds and subsequently matchups uh, could fluctuate greatly based on teams' performances the rest of the season. Uh, but that's kind of what I've got there. A little dip into uh, elsewhere in 3A in terms of what I got for the super sectionals. I'm not going to go any further than the supers, though. Uh, at Eastside and Center, I've got Metamora Lamont, a rematch of last year. Uh, super sectional up north with the site TBA. I've got Wheaton St. Francis against St. Lawrence out of Burbank. Uh, the Maple Park super sectional, I got host Caneland taking on number two Antioch. And the Decatur super sectional, I got Glenwood and Marion. I think that super is a little bit of a toss up. Glenwood undefeated. Haven't really played a whole lot of teams yet. No ranked wins uh, to this point in the season, but I've got my Elite Eight and 3A right now in this order Metamora, Lamont, St. Francis, St. Lawrence, Caneland, Antioch, Glenwood, Marion. All right, when we come back, again, my vote, if I had a vote. Uh, for the ICA Top 20 poll, give you a little bit of a spoiler. One team moves up 14 spots, another team drops 10. There's some others that may surprise you in there as well. Take you through my full Top 20, and I have two teams receiving votes, and we'll take you through that full poll when we come back. Oh. 
All right, and again, the ICA poll uh, preseason's what a- what's active right now. Again, uh, not a whole lot of games have happened to this point, but I think just enough uh, to get some content out of it. Uh, the one thing I will say right away, uh, Lamont at 1, Antioch at 2, Metamore at 3. None of those are going anywhere, I think, until one of those three either loses to somebody they shouldn't or goes on a little bit of a low spot and piles up a couple losses. So, again, right now, Lamont, number 1, Lamont at 4-0, number 2, Antioch 4-0, number 3, Metamore, now 7-2. and I apologize, I didn't. Let's just do everybody's records entering today. So, Metamore 6-2 entering today. Um, I've got Marion at number four, moving up eight spots from number 12. Uh, Wildcats are six and three. I got Providence Catholic at number five, four and three record. My biggest leaper, I have Marion Catholic, the Spartans at number six, up 14 spots from the 20th spot in the poll. Uh, I have a lot of good things to say about them, at least on the surface. Uh, Marion Catholic, nine and O, oh, two top 20 wins in the ICA poll. I think... Um, they may not move up quite as much as I have them in my personal poll, um, but I do think they are more than worthy of moving up uh, in the poll when it comes out. Number seven, I've got Rock Island at three and three. I think the record's a little bit deceptive. I think Rocky's got a real good ball club. Could make some noise uh, in the Washington sectional. We'll see how things progress with my bracketology there. Uh, number eight, I got Kankakee at three and zero. K is undefeated, seven spots up from number fifteen. LaSalle Peru at number 9, 6-1. The Cavs, I have them dropping three spots from number 9. Uh, back-to-back teams in the middle line, East Peoria, 7-2 uh, at number 10. Washington at number 11 at 3-3. Three three. Ottawa at 5-2 at the number 12 spot. 13, I've got Sterling, who's 6-1. Morris, I've got at 6-2 at number 14. Morris, a team that is receiving votes in the preseason poll, but I think is more than worthy of a spot in the top 20. Uh, Glenwood's my biggest dropper. I've got them from 5 to 15. Titans are 7 and 0. I think they're in just some undefeated teams, but also some overall good record teams uh, with more ICA wins. That's why I put them a little higher. ICA ranked wins, I should say. Uh, St. Lawrence, I've got them at 3 and 1. Uh, number 16, Oak Forest, the 17th ranked at 5 and 1. Evergreen Park, 4 and 3 at number 18. Wakanda, number 19 at 4 and 4. Charleston, at number 20, who is 6-1, and one, and my two receiving votes teams, Kerry Grove and Triad. All right, so when we come back, there's only one more thing to talk over, and that's Metamora's doubleheader on Saturday. A very good field at the Marengo Invitational. Not just the team the Redbirds are playing, but that's all we're going to talk about for the sake of this podcast. So when we come back, t- I'll tell you a little bit more about Richmond Burton and Marengo. All right, and time to tell you a little bit more about what to expect Saturday. Uh, We will have Mixler broadcasts of both games uh, from Marengo High School. Quite the hike up there, about two and a half hours. Um, The Redbirds will first take on, and all due respect to Marengo, I think the best team they'll play on Saturday, uh, 2A number 3 Richmond Burton. uh, 4-0 on the year. I did not check to see if they were playing today. Um, but a very sound team. Both of these teams actually were in Class 3A prior to COVID, um, but both of these teams are coming off uh, sectional appearances. Marengo lost in the sectional semifinal to Stillman Valley, but talking more about Richmond Burton, uh, mentioned in the interview with Coach Linder a while back on this episode that the Rockets got 
I'll say stuck with, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, Rockridge, the perennial power in 2A, they lost to them in the super sectional at Eastside Center. They got a lot of really good pieces. Lindsey Regnier, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'll get it right on Saturday. Uh, senior for the Rockets, also on their basketball team, but headed to Rock Valley College for softball. Talked about that with Brooklyn Ogden. A uh, really good college there. Haley Holtz is their ace pitcher from last year. We'll see if we get her on Saturday. The sophomore was a second-team All-Stater last year as a freshman. Um, has taken uh, to exposure camps at Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Northwestern. Uh, and I, I think based on what I saw last year out of her, but also uh, kind of how that's translated to this year, could potentially uh, get some Power 5 interest, not just by virtue of going to those exposure camps. A uh, big player to watch for Saturday is going to be number 16, Taylor Davison, a catcher uh, for them. The senior was committed to Michigan State, decommitted, is now signed to play for the Syracuse Orange. Um, incredible hitter, has great power, has nearly an 80-mile-an-hour exit velocity on average. But I found an article uh, that says that she thinks that her catching is better than her hitting. Think about that. So you look at maybe like a Katie Ramage for us who's – you know, up there with Cadence in terms of exit velocity on the power. I've seen Katie get up to 80. Uh, no uh, rhyme intended there. Um, but Davidson says her catching is better than her hitting. She's an All-American watch list player. Um, so I'll be curious to see uh, if, if – not that, you know, not that she's wrong. She would know better than anybody. Um, but just how that comes to fruition, that she likes her catching abilities more than her hitting abilities, considering she has an 80-mile-an-hour exit velocity on average. Uh, so that could pan out very interesting. Uh, Coach Tyler Stanton's done a great job just his second year, Richmond Burton grad, um, taking on the super sectional last year, and he's got him undefeated right now at 4-0. and So I think your two names to watch – um, for Saturday, actually we'll say three, Regnier, the uh, Rock Valley College-bound player, uh, Haley Holtz, the race pitcher, uh, second-team All-Stater last year, and Taylor Davison, the senior All-Stater, signed to play at Syracuse. So Richmond Burton, 2A number three, who the Redbirds will play first. After that is 2A receiving votes, Marengo, the uh, invitational host. Um, do want to make sure I mention... Uh, Head coach Dwayne Nance has um, had a health scare recently. Um, unfortunately, he has not been able to uh, return as the acting head coach just yet. Um, he's, from what I understand, still able to at least be out at the ball field, which I'm sure is, you know, good in and of its own right there. Uh, but we obviously wish um, as quick but efficient a recovery uh, for Coach Nance and uh if he's at least out there on Saturday, that'd be awesome. Uh, obviously, if he's not at a point where he can coach just yet, take his time. We want him back as healthy um, as possible and recovered as possible. Uh, Marengo, a team that maybe is a little familiar with the Middle Illini Conference, if you could say that. Uh, in 2015, they lost in the 3 title game to Washington. 2017, they defeated East Peoria in the championship game. Uh, so they've had some familiarity with the Middle Line Conference. They split with us last year. Uh, Metamora won 6-4, and Marengo won 3-2 in a doubleheader on May 14th of last year. I'll tell you a little bit about both of those games. Metamora did win uh, the second game, 6-4. Uh, but Metamora actually had a fairly commanding lead. Uh, but Marengo scoring three in the top of the seventh. That set the two-run final score. 
Um, and it was kind of an interesting line. I don't remember a whole lot about that game. I do remember I was the PA announcer for it, but don't remember a whole lot in detail. But what I do have statistically is that there were practically no strikeouts. Uh, both teams' starting pitchers only had one. Uh, so I'll be curious to see uh, what the pitching matchup is on Saturday and if that holds true again this year. Uh, Marengo did win the opening game of the doubleheader, 3-2. to two. Uh, Tied at one after an inning, Marengo scored two in the top of the fourth. That ended up being uh, the game-deciding inning, but Metamore did score one run in the bottom of the fifth to set the final. Sydney Trentman matched her strikeout total from today's no-hitter back then against Marengo with 12. Uh, Lily Kunzer with eight for Marengo. An interesting stat for Sid. We'll see if uh, what, because I'm assuming we're going to do Nora one game, Sid the other. Um, but Sin had 26 first pitch strikes against Marengo last year. Uh, Marengo did have 10 hits in the game, so perhaps maybe a little bit of a good job of limiting them uh, from any further damage. Um, notable notable players uh, to talk about. They got a couple All-Staters back. Uh, Maddie Christopher, a senior, as uh, a D1 commit. She's headed to Moorhead State out of the Ohio Valley. Uh, Kunzer, the pitcher that we faced last year, uh, was their local paper, the Northwest Herald. Uh, their paper's all-area selection last year, a third-team All-Stater as well. Uh, and Kylie Jensen, a sophomore, an All-Stater as well, third team. And not to mention Mia Lulinski, a senior as well, a second-team All-Stater. Uh, so will be interesting to see. I think both are really good teams. Coach Linder mentioned they're both going to test the Redbirds really well, um, and we are very excited to have the call of both games for you on Mixler. Uh, first game at 11 a.m., that means 10.45 pregame. We'll see how the second game pans out, but the point is we will have the call of both games. Very long episode, nearly twice as long as our longest to, uh, prior to today. Glad we got it all in. Uh, the recap of Metamora's 11-0 win over Morton with the Sydney Trentman no-hitter, the five home runs, including three uh, from Cadence Till. Uh, the conference scores and stats um, with East Peoria, Dunlap, and Washington, your winners tonight. Of course, Metamora, as we mentioned, over Morton. Uh, the sectional seeds, I have Metamora and Washington as your one seeds in both sides of the sectional. The ICA poll, Lamont, Antioch, Metamora, Marion, Providence, Catholic, I have as my top five right now. And two very good 2A teams, traditional 3A teams, but currently 2A teams await the Redbirds on Saturday. Number three, Richmond Burton at two. And receiving votes, Marengo, or I'm sorry, number three, Richmond Burton at 11 a.m. And 2A receiving votes, Marengo at 1 p.m. want to thank everybody for tuning in. These episodes will not typically be this long. I just wanted to make sure I got some bracketology, a little bit of out-of-conference love um, in terms of what I think is panning out at the moment. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Middle Line Softball Podcast. Oh.